Hello and welcome to Verse and Verse, a new podcast where I'll be discussing the musical world in and around pieces of classic literature. I'm Flo, I'm a final year music student, rapidly approaching my graduation now. I've always loved English literature and reading and for the last few years I've spent so much of my spare time listening to literary podcasts. I'm really excited to put these two things I love in relationship with each other and really see how much we can learn about our favourite characters and books and authors even just by looking at them in terms of music. And I'm going to be starting with one of my favourite books of all time, Pride and Prejudice. So without further ado, we'll get into our first mini-series, The Sound of Pride and Prejudice by Verse and Verse. first episode on context, both context in terms of the book, so a plot overview, and also the context of music within Regency England and Jane Austen's life. I want as many people to be able to enjoy this podcast as possible, so in case you haven't read the book or in case it's been a long time, I thought we'd spend a few minutes giving a brief overview of the novel and introduce some key characters. Pride and Prejudice was published in 1813. It's a classic novel by Jane Austen that explores some complexities of social class, though largely within the landed gentry, and also explores courtship and personal growth in early 19th century England. In the intervening 200 years, it's become somewhat of a blueprint for the enemies to lovers romantic comedy trope. The plot revolves around the Bennet family and their five unmarried daughters, beautiful kind Jane, quick-witted Elizabeth, who's our protagonist, pedantic and serious Mary, and boy-crazy Kitty and Lydia. Mr. Bennet is sarcastic and somewhat neglectful, while Mrs. Bennet is fixated on marrying off her daughters due to their home being entailed away from the female line. The story begins when Charles Bingley, a wealthy bachelor, moves into the neighbourhood to the nearby Netherfield estate. His presence sparks excitement within the Bennet family, particularly for Mrs. Bennet, who's sure he will fall in love with one of her daughters. Bingley attends a local ball where he becomes enamoured with Jane Bennet. At the same ball, Elizabeth Bennet meets Mr Darcy, Bingley's close friend. Darcy initially comes across as cold and proud, and Elizabeth is shocked by his rudeness when she overhears him calling her tolerable but not handsome enough to tempt him to dance. As Jane and Bingley become closer, Elizabeth's dislike for Darcy is affirmed when she meets the charming soldier George Wickham, who shares a negative account of his past with Darcy, claiming that Darcy cheated him out of an inheritance. In the meantime, Elizabeth receives a marriage proposal from the distant cousin Mr Collins, a pompous clergyman and heir to the Bennet family estate. This marriage would provide her and her family with social and financial security, but she refuses his proposal, valuing her independence and recognising their incompatibility. Collins later marries Elizabeth's close friend, Charlotte Collins, who accepts his proposal for financial and social security. Around this time, Bingley and the rest of the party from Netherfield abruptly depart from the neighbourhood, leaving Jane brokenhearted. Elizabeth suspects Bingley's snobby sisters, as well as Mr Darcy, played a part in separating the couple. During a visit to Charlotte and Mr Collins, Elizabeth is reacquainted with Darcy, who is visiting his arrogant and patronising aunt, Lady Catherine de Bourgh, who is also Mr Collins's much-revered patroness. 
Darcy confesses his love for Elizabeth and proposes to her, simultaneously telling her that he didn't want to love her and that her family are beneath him. Shockingly, she rejects him, accusing him of separating Jane and Bingley, as well as mistreating Wickham, and of acting in an ungentlemanly manner. Darcy, hurt by her accusations, writes a letter to Elizabeth, where he reveals that Wickham is deceitful and that he attempted to elope with Darcy's 15-year-old sister, Georgiana, in order to access her fortune. This letter marks a turning point in Elizabeth's understanding of Darcy's character as she begins to question her initial judgments. Later, Elizabeth visits Pemberley, Darcy's estate, with her aunt and uncle, the gardeners. There she encounters a more amiable and kind Darcy, further challenging her previous assumptions about him. Their budding relationship is tested when Lydia, Elizabeth's youngest sister, who is only 15, runs off with Wickham with the intention of eloping. It soon becomes apparent that Wickham never actually planned on marrying her and ran off with her for the sole purpose of sleeping with her and ruining her reputation. This causes a scandal that could ruin the whole Bennet family's reputation. Darcy, out of love for Elizabeth and a lasting feeling of responsibility for Wickham, intervenes and uses his wealth and influence to force Wickham to marry Lydia thus saving the family's reputation. With the crisis resolved, Darcy and Bingley return to the neighbourhood. Bingley finally proposes to Jane, who accepts. Eventually, after Lady Catherine has voiced her disapproval for the match, Darcy proposes to Elizabeth once again, and this time she accepts, having come to appreciate his true character and overcome her initial prejudices. The story explores themes of love, societal expectations and personal growth that come from recognising and overcoming one's own biases and imperfections. The enduring appeal of Pride and Prejudice lies in its memorable and true-to-life characters, its engaging and witty narrative, and the complexities of human nature that it portrays. Jane Austen's novels were written and set in and around the Regency period. So this is the period between 1811 and 1820, where the then Prince of Wales ruled as regent in place of his father George III, due to the latter's failing mental health. The Prince Regent was known for his hedonistic, decadent and philandering ways, but he was also a huge arts patron which could be seen as representative of the wider musical dynamics of the time. So in music history terms, this is early romantic music. Um, So this is a time where there's a growing amount of professional musicians, um, largely due to the patronage of the upper classes and aristocracy. So we see this in literature, not just English literature, but... um, European literature, Russian literature like Tolstoy. We also see this in historical accounts too. So this sort of patronage often came in the form of uh, private concerts, balls and musical soirees where the upper classes would invite virtuosic musicians into their homes to perform to invited guests and therefore would bestow money and privilege on these artists. We also get more professionals teaching for a living, so mostly teaching the upper classes or the wealthy middle class. Now it's important to mention that in this time the middle class is growing hugely and there is a difference between nobility and class and wealth. And we actually, we see this in Pride and Prejudice 
quite clearly, where there's the Bingleys. Mr. Bingley is one of the richest men, actually second only to Mr. Darcy in terms of all Austin men. Uh, But Mr. Bingley is not landed and his generational wealth has origins in trade. On the other end of things are the Bennets, who are landed and therefore technically in the same class as Mr. Darcy, unlike the Bingleys, but who are financially unstable and literally face homelessness upon the death of Mr. Bennet. This is even pointed out for us in the novel in Elizabeth's explosive argument with Lady Catherine, where she defends the possibility of her marriage to Darcy by saying, he is a gentleman and I am a gentleman's daughter, thus far we are equal, despite the financial disparity between their situations. Now back to music in the middle classes, it's also used here as a tool for social mobility. As wealth and leisure time increased, middle class families began to take part in musical activities previously reserved for the upper classes, and in a way this was used to demonstrate taste and education. But it's also used as a tool for young women to become accomplished and as a sort of selling point for marriage and matrimony. We again see this in Pride and Prejudice with Miss Bingley, who is of the very wealthy middle class. And she is constantly wanting to display her superior skill on the piano in front of Mr. Darcy because we all know she wants to snaffle him. And this brings us to some gender dynamics with music in the Regency period. Upper class and middle class women were expected to be proficient in singing and playing musical instruments in an amateur capacity. Dynamics for music making amongst upper class women are summarised well in the following passage from Marion Wilson Kimber's paper, Miss Austen Plays Pale. She writes, Most of Austen's heroines play the piano, and their fictional musical activities frequently illuminate their character and more broadly highlight the contemporary expectations for their gender. Aspiration to a professional musical career was largely not an option for women in the Georgian period unless it was an economic necessity due to her class status. However, without transgressing beyond amateur expectations, young women were expected to provide entertainment in the domestic sphere through performing on piano or harp or through singing and artistic accomplishments could help them in their necessary pursuit of matrimony. Music making could assist upper class girls in whiling away the hours, protecting their morality through preventing the possibility of more questionable activities, in spite of the dangers of the excessive sensual pleasure or self-aggrandizing display that might result. Again, we see this in Pride and Prejudice with Mary and Elizabeth Bennet, who both play the piano, while the younger girls spend more time being idle or on frivolous pursuits, which potentially leads to Lydia's predicament. But it's also important to point out that Austen is not advising being like Mary, who embodies this idea of being self-aggrandized it's it's a balance and i think that's one of the things that everyone loves about elizabeth so let's get on to jane austen herself um of course jane austen was an english novelist known for her wit irony and keen observations of social conventions and relationships she was born in 1775 in hampshire and was the seventh of eight children of reverend george austen and his wife cassandra she grew up in a close-knit, well-educated family that valued reading, music, and intellectual discussions. Austin began writing stories and poems at a young age. She started to work on her first novels in her early 20s, including Eleanor and Marianne, 
later revised as Sense and Sensibility, and First Impressions, eventually published as Pride and Prejudice. Her writing was characterised by its sharp wit, social commentary and lifelike characters. In her lifetime, Austen published four major novels, Sense and Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice, Mansfield Park and Emma. These works were published anonymously with only By a Lady or By the Author of Sense and Sensibility as the author's identification. Austen died in her early 40s and her brother Henry and sister Cassandra ensured that her final two novels, Northanger Abbey and Persuasion, were published posthumously in 1817. Though her novels were moderately successful during her lifetime, it wasn't until the 20th century that Austen's work gained widespread recognition and she became one of the most celebrated authors in English literature. Although Jane Austen is primarily known for her literary work, she also had a musical background as the daughter of a clergyman. Her father, Reverend George Austen, was an enthusiastic amateur musician and her mother Cassandra also played the piano. Music played a significant role in the Austen family's domestic life. We know that they often gathered to perform, sing and dance together. As an amateur pianist, Jane Austen's musical education began when she was a child and she continued to play the piano and improve her skills throughout her life. She had access to a large collection of sheet music, some of which survives today, and likely played a wide range of contemporary pieces by composers of her time, such as Clementi, Kramer and Pleyel, among others. We know that Austen's father encouraged her musical pursuits and engaged George Chard, an assistant organist at Winchester Cathedral, as her piano teacher. She took lessons with Chard until the age of 21 and it's said that she practiced daily before breakfast so as not to interrupt her family's routines. There's a lovely account from Jane Austen's niece about her daily practice. Aunt Jane began her day with music for which I conclude she had a natural taste, as she thus kept it up, though she had no one to teach, was never induced, as I have heard, to play in company, and none of her family much cared for it. I suppose that she might not trouble them, she chose her practising time before breakfast, when she could have the room to herself. She practised regularly every morning. She played very pretty tunes, I thought, and I used to stand by and listen to them, for the music, for I knew the books well in after years, would now be thought disgracefully easy. In 1801, when the Austen family moved to Bath, they were forced to sell their piano and much of the sheet music. Despite this, Austen held on to her two personal collections of copied sheet music, which included two volumes of music transcribed in her own handwriting, which both survive to this day. This practice of copying music by hand was common for young ladies in the middle classes and lower gentry, as printed music was very expensive. Austen's niece, Caroline, once remarked that her aunt's manuscript copies were so neatly and correctly copied that it was easy to read as print. One of the pieces in Austen's handwriting is The Soldier's Adieu by Charles Dibden, which she modified to be The Sailor's Adieu, likely as a tribute to her two brothers in the Navy. Another song, The Irishman, has lyrics that compare men from different counties and includes the line nobody loves like an Irishman. This song has been speculated to be linked to Austen's flirtation with Tom Lefroy, a young man from Limerick, Ireland. Looking at the Austen collection of sheet music, much of which has been digitised and can be found online, um, can help paint a general picture of the repertoire of amateur musicians of the day in Britain. 
we'll get more into this in the final episode, but I find it interesting that in film and TV adaptations, we often hear a lot of music by Mozart and Haydn, which from a modern lens are of course considered the the greats of the classical canon at the time. We see in the Austin collection hardly any music by these composers, and what is present is often in arrangements that are almost unrecognisable as being by those composers. In the collection there are a lot of works by contemporary British or Viennese composers, including but not limited to Samuel Arnold, Charles Dibden, James Hook, Johann Sterkel, William Shield and Stephen Storrs. There's also a large presence of arrangements of traditional and folk songs and ballads. A small amount of French opera is also included in the collection, thanks to Jane Austen's sister-in-law, but this isn't thought to be typical of amateur British music making. The music we may associate with Austen, thanks to film and TV, therefore might not be that accurate to British music making of the day. When the Austen family moved to Chawton in 1809, they acquired a new piano, and Austen resumed her daily practice sessions before breakfast. She wrote to her sister Cassandra in late 1808, expressing her excitement about the new instrument. Yes, yes, we will have a piano of forte, as good as a one can be got for 30 guineas, and I will practice country dances, that we may have some amusement for our nephews and nieces when we have the pleasure of their company. It has been speculated that music was central to Austen's literary output. The drafts of Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility were made in her early adulthood before the move to Bath, where she didn't have her own piano. And the final writing and subsequent publication of these novels occurred after the move to Chawton, where she once again had her own piano. Again, this is speculation, but I think it's quite interesting. There are some tender letters to Austen's niece Caroline to entreat her to practice her music and take care of her, Jane's, instrument, saying, do not allow anything to be put on it. Letters to Caroline also say, the pianoforte often talks of you, in various keys, tunes and expressions I allow, but be it lesson or country dance, sonata or waltz, you are really its constant theme. Music's general pervasiveness in Regency culture is reflected in Jane Austen's novels, where she frequently includes music and musicians as part of the story, illustrating its importance in the social lives of her character and the social lives of her general acquaintance alike. In novels like Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility, for example, musical accomplishments are described as desirable qualities in young ladies and often play a role in courtship rituals. Next episode, we're going to be discussing music specifically in Pride and Prejudice and how it's used as a tool to better understand the characters. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Florence Wood, and this has been The Sound of Pride and Prejudice by Verse and Verse with music by Lewis Wood, who can be found on Bandcamp. If you have any thoughts, I'd love to hear them. You can reach me on Instagram at verseandversepodcast or email verseandversepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, and I hope you'll tune in next time.